Welcome to Side Conversations of Marketing, Management, and Money. Yes, our podcast is all things small business, but in these side conversations, we deviate a little bit and we might go into politics, religion, social, economics, or health, whatever we feel like talking about. So if you're interested in learning a little bit of our take on other issues, welcome to Side Conversations. Welcome, everybody. Uh, we are going to side convo today because I have something that's bugging me. and <laughs> This isn't anything new, but this is something that I think needs more conversation than is happening in the business world. And, you know, I, I really want to clarify, this is a side conversation, meaning that it's very much opinionated. This is how I view the world. Not necessarily something that uh, we're saying, hey, you know, if you want to run your business, because there are many businesses that are going to fall contradictory to what I'm going to advocate. And I think in some instances, it's out of necessity. In some instances, it's out of choice or greed. Man, I'm going to I'm going to be spicy. I'm excited to hear what you're going to bring. Yeah. (laughs) So. Uh, so anyway, uh, fair warning, fair disclaimer, this is a side conversation, not an actual episode. Uh, so please, uh, you know, please, please take uh, what I say with, uh, you know, with that in mind. But, uh, this is what I'm getting at. I'm not convinced that we as a society are thinking about business the correct way. And I think that we set ourselves up for failure in many aspects. And I think that if we would ditch some of these preconceived notions, some of these bad habits, I think that one, businesses would flow a lot smoother. Uh, I know that expenses would go down, uh, but it's it's a little bit of, of, of risk to go into it. So um, what I'm getting at is that we are a consumer-driven economy, and the whole idea is to say that, well, you know, as long as the consumers are buying, then the economy is good. You know, if you look at like a, a okay. GDP, you know, a gross domestic right. product, it, it looks at like, you know, what does the nation produce? Well, it produces what the consumers are, are demanding. It doesn't necessarily ever look at, well, what's the optimal production and there's this th- there's this concept that bigger is always better, and I'm like, you show me anything in nature, anything in science, anything in your life where bigger is always better, everything goes to an optimal level. Level, you know, you can you can go too small or you can go too big, and you're trying to find kind of that sweet spot where it's like, oh, hey, this is you know, this is where we perform at our best. And so we've got this consumer mentality where as a business, if I can sell you one widget, I do okay. But if I can sell you two widgets, I do better. And so, you know, you get things like engineered obsolescence where all of a sudden something's going to break down at a certain point and it's engineered in, you know, and so we want to throw things away. And I'm like, wow, you know, look at how much we're throwing away. And, you know, there, there, there's excess just garbage and waste that, that is being produced that from a business and marketing perspective, that's really good for business. Like if you throw my product away, great, because you have to buy my product again. But if you hang on to my product for, you know, 10, 20 years, then, well, that's, that's no good for business, you know? And, and so... 
I get really bent out of shape when I look at this and I'm just like, is this really the best way to go? Should we really be trying to get people to throw things away? It, it's more costly to the consumer, you know, because right. if, if, if I had something that was built to last and I could just do minor repairs on it or minor upgrades to it and hang on to it for an extended period of time, that means that I don't have to work as hard because I don't spend as much. And so my, you know, my output drops, which if, if you look at, and I mean, this, this is why this is a side conversation because it just, it starts to spiral out of control. <laughs> but you know, like as a human being, if I had more time, I spent less time working, would I use that time productively? Mm, probably not, you know, like just speaking honestly for society, but there are people that, you know, if they had more time, they'd spend theoretically more time with their family or more time on their health or, you know, something like that. I mean, that's the big theory of if you had more time, you'd do good things with it, but we tend to not do that. You know, but this consumerism, it forces us to spend more time working. It forces us to, uh, you know, constantly go through a lot of things. And and maybe that's... So what, what percentage of products do you think actually have that built in versus technology, other advancements are just driving the... Um, obsolescence. Uh, okay, so this is where it gets interesting, in my opinion, right? Uh, first off, I have no idea. <laughs> in answer to your question, I have no idea. Okay. But uh, this is where it gets interesting, kind of in this hypothetical realm, right? And that is that, okay, if you take a business, and I've got business A, that they decide that they're going to build a product that's going to last for 10 years, and then we got business B, and they're going to build a product that's going to last for three years. So theoretically, they get three times the sales. And so business B puts business A out of business because by the time, you know, so if, if business A doesn't have enough cash flow coming in, yes. then all of a sudden there's like, oh, hey, you know, I sold a whole bunch. Now, again, I've not fact-checked this, but that's, historically... That's interesting because uh, I remember years ago... Um, I don't remember who exactly it was, but they were ranting to me about shoes mm -hmm. that when they were younger, shoes were made to be repaired. Yeah. Okay. But as they got older, they could no longer repair their shoes or find anyone who could repair shoes. So you just started throwing them away. When mm -hmm. the sole wore out, you threw them away. You didn't, you didn't go down to the shoe store and have it resold. Yeah. But when they were younger, that's what they did. They, so you could buy a $50 pair of boots and resole it. Throughout its lifetime, if it, the leather was good, you just put a new sole on it. Yeah, yeah. Well, think about this. If your product lasts longer than your cash flow cycle, what do you do? You're screwed. You just put yourself out of business. You know, if, you're, yeah. if your cash flow cycle requires, you know, if you look at like your, your product base and man, I'm out there. Like I'm in, mm -hmm. I'm in the land of theory. So good luck on following all this, you know just brain dump here. But, you know, if, if I look at uh, the number of customers that I have and how quickly they will buy and how, you know, frequently they'll replace, right? if I run out of customers faster than my product dies, I just killed my business. And so, you know, I might engineer myself, you know, quality engineer myself out of business. And that's one of the reasons why you see this, you know, the, the, this process where it's like, oh, I always have to do something new. And, you know, and you talked about technology. 
in many but, aspects, technology. But for, but in some cases, some businesses have thrived on building a product that now is indestructible and or lifetime warranties and. Oh, okay. Like. Give me some examples here. Let's let's get so Vortex scopes. Okay. So Vortex scope came out, and there's you know Leopold has some fantastic scopes and Swarovski. I mean, there's a ton of, I mean, and there's some really high end ones out there that. Um, the most common man doesn't even know the names of them because you can't even afford them, so mm-hmm. you don't even know. But, but on a on a average, on an average sportsman's gun, uh, it's not uncommon now to find a, a vortex. And vortex, uh, when they first came out, um, that was that was what they were selling on lifetime warranty. So, I'm totally shooting from the hip here. No and, pun intended. And now, interesting enough. Um, about half of my scopes have been changed out to Vortex. Okay. That's what I wanted to hit on, right? How many guns does someone need? Oh, is there ever an... <laughs> <laughs> it depends on this who you side, ask. This is a sideline, right? <laughs> <laughs> is it possible to not have enough? <laughs> okay. So in today's mm. world, like we're not using guns to go out and, you know, harvest our food. A hundred years ago, Most you were. Most people aren't. Okay, but there's still there's still a, an active group of, and I, and I don't know what the percentage is, but I I will say there's an active group of people out there that that uh, still do hunt for meat. Okay, I'm not saying that they do hunt for meat. I'm saying that they have to hunt for meat. Oh yeah, oh yeah, 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 okay. yeah. So okay. yeah, there's years no ago, have tos anymore. Yeah, hundred years the, ago, oh, there's probably a small percentage that have to now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. When you look at it and you say, okay, this has gone into the sports arena. And honestly, I'm not going to get into gun control here. I think it's it's great that people own guns because 99.9% of them use them responsibly. But we're not going to, that's not this episode, right? Maybe we'll do another side conversation on that. But, you know, when, when I look at it, I'm like, okay, you do it for sport, which makes it a luxury item. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So if I have a luxury item, all of a sudden the engineered obsolescence changes because I'm not replacing my scope based on need. I'm replacing my scope based on want. I'm buying a gun based on want. And yes. so I might yeah. own a yeah. dozen guns. I really only need one good hunting gun, maybe two, depending yeah. on, you know, like yeah, I, if I, I do agree. different styles of hunting, maybe three at most. I don't need a dozen. Right. Most hunters own a dozen. Yeah. You know, and, and they still have them on their wish list. They're like, oh, man, yes. I want to get this one. And, yeah. you know, they don't even take half of their guns out hunting. They have, this is my hunting. Yeah, this is my right. workhorse that's very here. True. You know, but this, I've got my whole, you know, closet full of all of these guns. <laughs> They're luxury items, right? Yeah. And so if I'm a company and I'm going to build something lifetime and I'm like, look, you're not limited by, you know, how much you need. Let's, let's, let's take a car, okay? Engineered obsolescence is built into cars where they will have things break at a certain point and they know how to fix them to make them last longer, but... If I make my cars last too long, I can't sell you a new car. Now, you might, if you know, if if you're middle class, upper class society, you might buy more cars than you need, but not too many. Only right. a small, small percentage are going to have like a garage full of twenty cars. Most people are going to own a car for themselves. Right. They might own a car. You know, if it's a husband wife, they might each own a car, and maybe they're going to own a car for the kids. 
but you're not going to see, it's not like guns where it's like one person's going to own a dozen car or a dozen guns. And so all of a sudden, you know, on cars, if I, you know, if I want economies of scale in my production, I have to produce a certain number, which means I have to sell a certain number, which means a certain number of them have to break. So, right. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it creates this whole mentality. It's a whole process of how we consume the automobile. You know? and, and you can look at it from any other thing. You know, if you want to look at electronics, that's got a lot of engineered obsolescence in it. Right. You know, and so, so your example, I think, is a luxury item. Mm, I would agree. Yeah, I would agree. So then the question becomes, should we make a shift? As a society, should we shift away from consumerism and say there is a better macroeconomic model for human beings? But how do you convince people to do that when the cost of the product will go up? You don't. If, if you're trying to convince someone on because price, you, you don't. You, the... The economics almost say, look, if I build in something so that it lasts longer, the cost should be higher. How much higher is a is another debate, but that it should be more expensive because I'm that old saying you get what you pay for, you yeah. know? So so here here's an interesting one, right? I had a chance to go to Europe. Uh, I brought my wife along with me and we did a little bit of touring in Paris. She was super excited, you know, had a chance to go back to Paris. And one of the things that she wanted to do is she wanted to shop in Paris. Mm-hmm. Uh, Did you even afford it? <laughs> I, honestly, it wasn't that bad. It, yeah. it, it really, it, like, if you start getting into uh, some of the consumables in Paris, you would think that they would be super expensive. No, yeah. they're not that bad, you know. Same, like, in, same in Rome. Yeah. Rome wasn't that bad, and actually, family I, loved it. Yeah. Loved uh, shopping in Rome. Uh, and so... So anyway, so we're shopping around, and she's like, oh, I love all these little quaint yeah. shops, uh-huh. yep. you know? And the interesting thing is she's like, so why is it that Europe has all these quaint shops? I'm like, because they don't have, you know, the big box like Walmart and Costco yeah, and, right. and and stuff like that. In fact, some of those places will forbid well, and, it. You know, they don't, the government a, won't allow it. a lot it. of them were so built up even before... Walmart existed there. You, you couldn't bring a Walmart in. There was no room to even put one. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So here's the thing. We get home from this trip. Do you think she wants to go to, you know, small town USA and shop main street? No, No. we went straight to Costco. Right. (laughs) And so on vacation, she's talking about how wonderful this whole, yeah. you know, like all I lo- the little corner stores, even yeah. for food and everything. Yeah, yeah. like yeah, it's oh, everything. it's so quaint. I love it. And then she got back, and you know, where does she spend her money? She spends her money at, at Costco. And so, you know, when you ask the question of like, well, okay, you know, what would we have to do to shift? Uh, it's not a cost question. It's a almost like a moral. Do you think it's more convenience? I, I think it's a combination of cost, convenience, uh, psychology. I think there's a lot of psychology that goes because into this. online purchasing is only increased because of convenience, mm. not because of pricing. I don't know. I don't know. Nine times out of town. Nine times out of ten, the pricing online is. Uh, if I had, if I had. Living in a city, if I had 10 stores to pick from, I would always find one of them that was reasonable that I would have bought from, and I'd, I just wouldn't have to drive to all 10. 
Yeah. Does it make sense? Yeah. But online, all 10 of them are at your fingertips. So everyone thinks it's cheaper, but no, it's just only because you you found the one that for whatever reason is running a discount or bought in bulk. And so they're selling a little bit cheaper. Okay. You, you just found the one easier than you traditionally would instead of driving from uh, Lowe's to Home Depot to Ace to Sutherland's to CJ's to, um, mm. you know, all the box chain to try to find that one dresser handle that you need. Yeah. 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 No, that's because that's, that's what we used to do. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I can speak a little bit about that one because of my age, but that's what we did. You, you, you window shopped per se, a number of stores to, to figure out, um, where the cheapest price was as, and comparable. And then that's, you know, so after two hours of shopping, then you always ended up going back to one where you made the purchase. So here's what's interesting, right? Um, my kids hate shopping. And, you know, it's Christmas time right now, and I've got one of my kids. He's always Mm -hmm. complaining. He's like, I hate all this Christmas shopping. And I'm thinking to myself, you get online, you browse for 10 minutes, you click buy, and you're done. What what are you complaining about? And I, you know, I'm old like you. I I remember my parents, they used to uh, take us to a mall or one of those shopping centers Mm -hmm. or you know, the outlets. every one of the stores. And, and, and they would they would give us our Christmas money, and then we would make yeah. an afternoon of just walking through. And I remember being so tired. Like, your feet hurt oh, as yeah. much from that as yeah. when I go backpacking, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's the expression, shop till you drop. And, like, so, <clears throat> but the thing is, is everyone I talk to looks back at those times with fondness. It's like, oh, you remember when we used to go to the mall? Oh, not me. Oh, really? No. Oh, I, okay. You're just, you're just hungry. Uh, I don't inherently like to shop. Oh, see, I love just going to the stores and walking around. And see, I'd rather, I'd rather sit in the mall and watch people, the <laughs> idiosyncrasies of people, how they behave when they have no idea that anyone's even watching. That's what's fascinating to me is how. Uh, people are in their own world, even though they're in a mass crowd, mm. they, they literally are in their own world as if no one else was there. Yeah. That is so fascinating to me. Yeah. Yeah. Behaviors and norms that you'd think, hey, if you're in public, there's no way you would do that one. But it's like as if they're the only one in the field just, you know, bouncing through the grass and no one else can see anything that's going on. And and you just, uh, that's what fascinates me. <laughs> I, I had a guy... Um, <laughs> We ended up going to a conference in San Diego together, and uh, I found out that the biggest city he had ever been to was Salt Lake City. Oh. Yeah. How's that? Yeah, yeah. A grown man, had an MBA, you know, like he, he had gone to college, and and so I started talking to him, and I'm like, well, what about your high school? And he said, my high school class was 80, eight really? zero people in his graduating class. And I'm yeah. like, mine was like six to 800. I don't even know how big it was. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So anyway, the biggest city he had ever been to was Salt Lake City. Now, for the listeners who have maybe never gone to Salt Lake City, Salt Lake City doesn't count as a big city. Like yeah. population-wise, first off, it's not that big to begin with. It's really spread out, but it's not... It's different than other cities yeah. because of its heritage it and its layout 
yeah. you know. So it it wasn't developed until the mid 1800s. And so it's not as close, you know, you said it's spread out. And it really hasn't had significant growth growth until 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. And and so, you know, his experience of, you know, Salt Lake City was when it was kind of growing. So it was getting a little bit bigger, but it still was. That's fascinating. So anyway, so we end up going to uh, San Diego and there's this place. It's the Gas Lamp District. Yeah. Did did you go there? Yeah. Yeah. I love that place. I know. It's so fun, right? And so we end up there on a Friday night because the conference went, it was like Tuesday through Friday. We're flying out Saturday. And so it's Friday night. The conference is over. And I'm like, dude, let's go. Let's go to the gas lamp district. Yeah. And like, this will be oh, fun. Yeah. Right. Great food. So I start walking around with him and he, oh my gosh, his <laughs> eyes were huge. <laughs> He's like. What, what is going on? And he's like, what, why did, why did that person just give him money? Like what, what, what is happening here? So I stopped watching all of the people and I just start watching him because he's the one who's entertaining. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. I would have loved to have been there for that one. That was a golden moment. I loved yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, jumping back to the whole thing, I, I guess my, my rant boils down to this. As a society, have we ever stopped to think, hey, is this where we want to end up? You know, like we're so busy moving forward and we keep moving forward more rapidly because of technological advancements. And I'm like, have we ever stopped to look at the map and say, hey, is this actually the road we want to be on? Maybe we want to, you know, pivot and head in a different direction. I don't feel like anyone's looking at that. I think that everyone's looking at forward and they're just like, progress is progress. You know, and I'm like, mm, mm. there's, there's different qualities of progress. And well, and, and progress, even you're right. Progress even in and of itself is super tricky because I mean, there's all kinds of debates about, um, electric cars. Oh, because of, Hey, now we need more of this mineral or that mineral or this product or this metal. Well, where do you get it? Uh-huh. Well, how their the argument is, well, it still has to be mined. Yeah. So, so the argument then it goes, is it worth it if we have to, because if you're, if you're trying to save rainforest and underneath the rainforest is the mineral, um, yeah, yeah, it's an interesting debate to read. I mean, I read tons of stuff about it. I don't know where I would officially stand yet because well, it's not come to a head and I haven't had, maybe I haven't had to make a decision on that one. But but it certainly fascinates me that even in progress, uh, we have that same moral dilemma about um, do we compromise something and go back to, i.e., wood wheels, okay, uh, so that we don't have to tear a big hole in the ground to get the minerals that we need for something else. And so... Um, that, you know, obsolescence, do we, do you build it in just out of the sake of preserving something versus could we make it better if we could destroy something? I don't know. That's wow. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to throw out two things. One is going to be specifically about the electric car. Another is going to go back to something that you said about art when you, uh, uh, when you visited Rome earlier this year and the, uh, the, uh, the trends in art, Yeah, Uh, you know, and those same trends exist in technology and and different things like, so I I want to talk about that a little bit, but so I was listening to a podcast, um, you know, to try and keep up on my French. 
listen to the uh, Lure du Monde in French, and so they're talking mm. about the uh, uh, the electrical crisis that is hitting France right now. Oh yeah, you know, and I'm sure it's hitting a it's lot of Europe, of Europe. You know, I just know the specifics about France because that's what I was listening to there. But it brought up this, you know, so they've got this plan in place, and it's actually a pretty intelligent plan, in my opinion, you know, kind of like the mm-hmm. stages of what they would do to uh, secure, you know, the, the, the power. It was more of a political thing because, you know, you've got like the French president who's getting after people and saying, stop overreacting, stop causing fear and panic, you know, and so that, that was more fascinating to me than the actual, you know, yeah. uh, issue of how much electricity there was. But now you start to bring up this question of, well, wait a second, you've got the electric car, but we've got major nations that are having to look at potentially cutting power. And so, you know, what what happens when I I shift my vehicle over to electricity and I don't have reliable electricity? I mean, we saw this, you know, like everyone was telling people, oh, go diesel, go diesel, go diesel because it's cheap. And then everyone switches over to diesel and then diesel gets more expensive than regular gas. And, you know, and I'm like, so and, and I'm not opposed. Like my fundamental belief is allow people to innovate. Right. You know, and, and if you allow people to innovate, they're going to solve these problems that everyone's talking about. You know, I'm sure there will be agree. a bunch of politicians who will take credit for it, but it's really the innovators that are there saying, oh, hey, let's think about this. Because if they put a product out there, you know, they put an electric car out there that's unreliable or is unsustainable because of how it's produced. Yeah. Consumers would stop buying and it would become... You know, I, they would they would move on to better technology. I, I think one of the best examples is the paper industry. You know, everyone talked about the deforestation, and I'm like, if you actually look at the stats, the paper industry, they plant yes. more trees yeah. than they ever take out. And what's amazing, they're now harvesting many of those trees that they're now replanting and planting. They've it's been enough time now that that cycle uh, has started to come about so that they're harvesting what they're planting. Mm -hmm. That's what's amazingly cool. (laughs) Yeah. That, that discussion 40 years ago, 50 years ago, Mm -hmm. uh, now has, has taken that long, but now that it's had time, but yeah, cool. They understood that they're just like, Hey, we will be completely out of business if we, you know, eliminate all of our resources, you know? And so there's, There's natural Mm -hmm. innovation that needs to be allowed to prosper. But I want to talk about, so you brought this to to my understanding. I had never really thought of this before or even understood it. But uh, in art, there was kind of this swing that showed societal swings. They went from very conservative to very liberal, back to conservative. It was was this whole idea of they're just going to oppose whatever the status quo is. Right. You know. (laughs) And art always does that. And, and, And so I look at that and I'm like, is that maybe where we are? Like, are we just opposing consumerism because consumerism really fed the 90s and the 2000s and now all of a sudden, you know, COVID rattles us to where we're like, uh, oh, maybe this is a bad model. So we're going to we're gonna go back to more of a, you know, a nationalist, like instead of global trade, we want to go with, you know, buy local yeah. and we want to go with sustainable and we're going to do that until something shakes that world and now all of a sudden we go back to, no, we need to be global. We need... <laughs> Like <laughs> that that's uh, an interesting thought. I'd never thought about it on the consumer side of things, but um politically and and economics tied to political uh environments do it all the time. Mm-hmm. Shift constantly. Mm-hmm. And it's not and the 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 amazing thing about it is not that it's bad. 
Um, it's that um, it's a shift to where the money goes. Yeah. Okay. The money still gets spent. It's where it gets spent. And that's where, um, when you look at the economics of politics, for the most part, I tell people, relax. It's just a shift of money. One, one people want to put it out in businesses. The other one thinks the government can do it more efficient. So they want to spend it on, on the advancement of letting government to do the advancements instead of private business. Mm -hmm. And then someone shifts that and says, well, Hey, the government's too slow. So we need to get it back into private industry. So it shifts back. And then Everyone says, oh, wait a minute, a private industry is gouging us. We'll put it back into the government's hand. And it does that constantly, um, constantly. And naturally. Yeah. Like, you know, the, it's the money amazing. Doesn't, yeah, see, the money doesn't ever go away. Yeah. It's just where it gets reallocated to. Yeah. Yeah. I, I find it amazing how, like, the world balances, economics balance, people balance. Like, there's a, na a lot of natural balance. Now, you can skew things and you can screw up those balances. You know, I'm not yeah. saying that everything is, you know, I'm, I, I don't believe in the invisible hand, the Adam Smith concept that it's just like, ah, just let it do it its own thing. No. You know, I'm like, ah, I think we have too many people. Like, if, if humans weren't, altering natural environments so much, I would be very much in favor of, you know, Adam Smith's invisible hand theory. But because we have the power to alter in natural environments substantially, I'm like, yeah, yeah we now have a responsibility to not screw them up. Right. You know, I agree. So, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe we're a little bit too deep here, but <laughs> <laughs> there was a disclaimer at the front end. <laughs> So give me, I, gives, give me more to think about over the next few days because you brought up some great points. Yeah. Well, I think I got uh, enough of my rant off my chest that uh, I can, I, I can, can simmer tonight. down. Yeah, I can at least <laughs> sleep tonight. So, Okay. Thanks for tolerating us. This has been a side conversation for Marketing Management Money, and uh, we'll catch you next time. See you.